You're listening to 106.9 here on Tune FM. The Greens Party have on Monday staged a protest at what they consider to be inaction from the Albanese government on the war between Israel and Hamas, walking out of the Senate chamber during question time. The party have consistently called on the Albanese government to both condemn Israel for their reprisals and call for a ceasefire. Deputy Leader of the Australian Greens, Marine Faruqi, led the walkout following her line of questioning towards Trade Minister Don Farrell concerning Australia's abstaining from a United Nations resolution calling for a ceasefire in the ongoing conflict. The resolution passed the United Nations with a margin of 121 votes for, 14 votes against, and 44 nations, including Australia, abstaining from the vote. The Albanese government has stated that this was due to the resolution not labelling Hamas as the perpetrator of the initial attack on the 7th of October, labelling the resolution as incomplete. During her question towards Minister Farrell, Senator Faruqi accused Israel of committing war crimes, including targeting civilians, carpet bombing the area of Gaza, and killing almost 10,000 Palestinians. In response, Farrell stated that the government had affirmed Israel's right to self-defense and echoed comments made by Foreign Minister Penny Wong that they must still abide by international law. This was followed by an interjection from Green Senator David Shoebridge, who claimed that Israel was not doing so before Senator Faruqi lambasted both the coalition and the Labour Party for their inactions, stating that weasel words are not going to stop war crimes. This was followed by a united walkout of question time by all 11 Green Senators. Joining me online today is Green Senator David Shoebridge, serving as a senator from New South Wales since the 1st of July in 2022 and holding the portfolios of Justice, Defence and Veterans Affairs and Digital Rights. Senator Shoebridge, it is a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so much for joining Tune FM here on the airwaves. Yeah, my pleasure, Ben. Good to speak. Um, I also, for my sins, have defence on the part of the party as well. So. Well, there you go then. That's another good portfolio for you. The first question that we wanted to ask, what do you think the Australian public needs to understand about this war that they may not currently know? Well, I think the Australian public is actually miles ahead of the Australian parliament. We have seen tens and tens of thousands of uh, members of the public uh, joining growing rallies um, around the country, uh, asking our government to support global efforts to get an urgent ceasefire. I think the Australian public is increasingly seeing this as a brutal uh, series of war crimes against the Palestinian people and, and, and uh, asking our government to, to, to stand up perhaps to our traditional allies in the United States and have an independent response to it. And that independent response should be founded in a common humanity and, and demand for ceasefire. And, you know, the Australian public was horrified at the images they saw of um, dead Israeli children and Israeli civilians, and they condemned it. And I joined with them, and my party joined with them in condemning that. And the Australian public is as equally horrified by every death of a Palestinian child. And and the sheer numbers at the moment are um, are just staggering to believe. And 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 I think you know I have been bombarded with uh, communications from the Australian public, overwhelmingly asking us to do everything we, everything we can to move the Australian government to support a ceasefire and to stop the killing in Gaza, and, and that's what we've been trying to do. You mentioned uh, images uh, from the war. Unlike previous conflicts uh, where, you know, we've only really been made aware of what's going on by, say, newspapers or, or, or TV reports if we go back, you know, early 2000s, with this current conflict going on in this day and age, we've been seeing real-time footage and hearing 
accounts from people within Israel and Gaza through the power of social media, for better and for worse, as some of the images that have come through have been utterly horrific. Do you think this has uh, an impact on how governments react and the level of, I guess, uh, shock that the Australian public or any public feel? It's, it's unquestionably had an impact on the level of shock that the Australian public have seen. And and I have to say, particularly for the Palestinian diaspora here, for the broader Arab diaspora here, this constant vision of um, their communities and their families and their loved ones um, facing such appalling brutality and, and, and as well for the Israeli community, you know, having the, the Jewish community here, having seen the violence as well. I mean, it's, it's a... The visual, the the visual reality of it, the, the nearness of it that that gives, um, I, th- I think raises the emotional responses that people have to the to the violence. Um, but tragically, it doesn't seem to be moving the Albanese government. It, it, despite the images we see of now what some ten thousand Palestinian civilians killed. 4,000 Palestinian children being killed, and some of those images have been um, so shocking and so heartbreaking. But those images don't seem to have moved the Australian government. It's, um, but I, I think it has had a real impact on the Australian public. I think the Australian public are sickened by what they see and they want the war to end and they want the bombing to end and they want people just like themselves to be sure that their kids are going to wake up alive the next day. That's a very powerful comment there. Uh, let's talk about the the protests and the walkout for just a second here. Do How do protests of this nature work? So, for example, will this protest only last for the sitting day that we saw or will the Greens Party be absent from further Senate sessions going forward? Well, that, that was a walkout from question time and from that session in question time. And and it reflected our disgust at the Albanese government's refusal to call for a ceasefire. You know, sitting there and hearing the dissembling and the talking points and the, 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 the repetition that somehow this grotesque violence against the people of Gaza is an act of self-defence by Israel and hearing that repeated by the, um, the minister um, was, was quite revolting, I'll, I'll be frank, and, and I thought quite shocking to hear that come from a, a minister of the Australian government. Um, and so we took the collective action to walk out. Um, and indeed, you know, we had discussed what our actions would be if the government refused to back in a ceasefire. And and um, and we took that collective decision if they wouldn't back in a ceasefire to walk out and not to hear that repetition of that, those, um, those, I think, appallingly misguided talking points from the government. And, and, you know, as we walked out, you could hear both Labor and Coalition senators heckling us and, um, and insulting us. And increasingly on this question, there seems little to distinguish Labor and the Coalition. And, and so we, we determined to walk out. The walkout was just for question time. Um, and, you know, we've been back in again doing what we can to legislate and um, use our 11 votes in the Senate. Um, to try and drag this country forward. What action do you and the Greens believe that the Albanese government should be taking in the wake of the war? Is a comment and a call for a ceasefire, uh, do you think that's all that should be done? Is there more that you would like to see done? What do you think they should be doing in a perfect world? Yeah. Well, the first thing they should be doing 
is calling for an urgent ceasefire and and refusing to give the Israeli military cover for the ongoing massacre of Palestinian civilians. I mean, that should be the first thing they do. Remove the political cover and clearly say that the scale of this violence, the collective punishment, amounts to war crimes. It's not done in our name. It's not done with our support and for demand for that to end. But we could also take some very practical measures, and that would include stopping sending weapons to Israel. Um, the, the Australian weapons export um, industry and the weapons export process is is so secretive, vastly more secretive than even the United States' global trade in weapons. When the United States sells weapons to people, they have to tell Congress about it and they have to publicly disclose where the weapons are going, what the weapons are, and how much they were paid for them. Australia, meanwhile, just secretly sends weapons all around the all around the globe. Um, and it's not just Israel, although you know the, the largest number of weapons export permits have been granted to Israel, some 350 since 2017, more than 50 just this year, uh, weapons permits, export weapon permits to Israel. But, you know, the Australian government is willing to send weapons to almost any conflict zone. We, we export weapons to Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia is engaged in a brutal civil war in Yemen with notorious human rights abuses. Australian weapons have armed both sides of the conflict in Sudan, um, sending weapons to Sudan and South Sudan at the same time. Um, Australia sends weapons to Indonesia, knowing full well that they're likely to be used in West Papua against insurgents against against um, the West Papuan independence um, um, fighters. Australia will send weapons literally anywhere um, without any kind of scrutiny uh, and without any kind of follow up once the weapons are exported off the shore. So we should also urgently and immediately say we will not be sending weapons to Israel to help fuel the conflict in Gaza and potentially to see them using war crimes. Is that something that you would like to see change? The level, you know, disregarding whether or not the Australia should be sending, you know, this this many weapons overseas, that's a topic that we could that could be gone into in depth. Is at the very least would you like to see a an increase in transparency when it comes to weapon sharing agreements with countries overseas? Well, I think the Australian public deserves that transparency. Uh, you know, at a minimum, there should be transparency. What weapons have we sent to Saudi Arabia? Um, and, and you know, and, and what, if any, checks have been used to see that they're not being used in the civil war in Yemen? How on earth were we sending weapons to both sides of the civil war in Sudan? You know, and what on earth has happened to the, um, the weapons and other material that's been the subject of the 350 weapons permit exports that have been granted in relation to Israel? Of course we should have those answers. And um, it's not just myself and the Greens who believe this. Three Palestinian human rights organisations have commenced urgent federal court action seeking transparency about Australia's weapons exports to Israel. Um, and that, that those proceedings commenced just on Monday of this week. Um, you know, it's astounding that there is more scrutiny and more transparency about military exports out of the United States than there is out of Australia. And in fact, you know, your viewers might be surprised to know that in my role as a defence spokesperson, often I find out about the size and the scale and the cost of Australians' weapons purchases, not from the Australian government or from the Australian Defence Force, but from disclosures that are lodged in the US Congress. Vastly more detail is given to the US Congress about Australia's weapons imports 
than the ADF for the Albanese government gives to this republic. Now, that is interesting in and of itself that a minister for defence is learning more about Australia's weapons dealings from a different country. That is quite astounding. And just on going back to the level of disgust um, that the Greens Party uh, and members such as yourself felt towards uh, members of the Coalition and Labor, I know that Deputy Leader um, Maureen Faruqi um, definitely did not mince her words uh, preceding the walkout uh, on Monday. You, the Greens Party currently shares the balance of power in the Senate. Um, for our listeners that may be slightly unaware of how that works, basically any Labor bills that are put forward uh, that are opposed by the coalition require the support of the Greens Party to pass uh, in addition to uh, a few additional senators. Will this protest and the, re- and the response from the Labor government impact the willingness of the Greens to work with Labor to support bills going forward? Well, I, I unquestionably... It is straining the personal relationships that we have, watching our colleagues from Labor continue to sort of back in this violence from the Israeli military. It's unquestionably straining personal relationships. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, how could it not um, strain those personal relationships? Uh, you know, there's a time for silence. Um, and that might be when you're trying to put kids to sleep, but you can't be silent when kids are being killed. And, um, you know, so I think on a personal level, it, it does cause strain. Um, although, you know, there are some people within Labor who I think are disturbed about the position that their party has taken, but the machine itself is, you know, it's hard to watch. Honestly. But we we try and take an approach as best we can of judging each piece of legislation, each proposal on its merits. Um, and, you know, to the best of our ability, we'll continue to do that and judge legislation, judge proposals on their merits um, and, and consistent with our principles as Greens. And that's fantastic to hear that you, the Greens Party, will, uh, they won't refuse to support a bill that is beneficial to the Australian public in line with the Greens' values uh, as a result of this. I think that's quite a, um, a, a good thing and something that will be beneficial to the Australian people. Now, there's a bit of a growing trend in today's current political environment. As we know, it's become very, very hyper-partisan, especially over the last couple of years. And it seems to be more common that people see things in very black and white terms without any nuance. And we see that a lot in the current discourse that's surrounding Israel and Palestine. Now, it goes without saying any any war of this nature is an absolute tragedy. Every single you know, man, woman and child that are killed in a conflict like this is horrendous. Do you think this hyper-partisan environment is adding to the difficulty and complexity of discussing this conflict? I don't. I'm quite sure that the nature of current politics is to to hunt for division. You know, I don't. I mean, you could probably hark back through history and and find repeated episodes of similar hyperpartisanship in in politics. Uh, but the um, at the moment, the partisanship is yes, as against the Greens. But it's really literally, you know, you've got these two war parties, the Labor Party and the Coalition, literally united, and the bulk of them sitting there backing in ongoing war and refusing to call the ceasefire and putting their partisanship to one side. They're, they're sort of often petty bickering to one side to, to, to unify against the Greens um, who have the temerity to ask for peace and a ceasefire. So 
um, I think there is an element of that in the discussion. I I thought actually, you know, I'm a I'm very much a civil libertarian. I have very real concerns about often the role that some of our security agencies, like ASIO in particular, play. Um, But in budget estimates just two short weeks ago, um, I thought actually a contribution from ASIO in response to some questions I asked them was really, really valuable. They, I was, I was asking them about what role politicians should play in order to not further division in our community in the face of this terrible conflict, what role we should play working with our communities um, to try and, um, um, you know, keep multicultural Australia on track and as, as, as united as we can. And their very clear advice was that you need to make sure every community knows they matter. You know, when an Israeli, when the, is, the, the Jewish community are seeing deaths in Israel and Israeli c- citizens, you need to respond with empathy and condemn the violence and, and have a common humanity there. And equally, the government needs to do the same when it's Palestinian kids and Palestinian women and Palestinian civilians. And the Palestinian community are not feeling that right now. They're feeling very much like they've been abandoned by their government. And, and that is, that is, you know, that is actually not only deeply hurtful towards the Palestinian community, it's, it's hurtful of our multicultural project, which every community should feel the right to be supported by their government. And, you know, I've spoken with many of the Palestinian community in my home state of New South Wales, many close connections with them and friends amongst them. And the sense that they're not even allowed to mourn without it being politicised, the fact that they're not being supported by the government and they see, you know, the, the Israeli colours put on the Opera House and the Australian Parliament House and Palestinian lives just not being given the same credit. Um, you know, I wish more people would reflect upon that statement made by ASIO and make that part of their response to this terrible tragedy. What can ordinary Australians do to support people within their community that are from an Israeli background or a Palestinian background? Because the effects that this would be having on them would be in would be incomprehensible. What can we as ordinary Australians do to extend our support? If these are your friends or neighbours or your work colleagues or students, let them know that you care. Let them know that these deaths impact you and you're concerned about their loss and their suffering and that of their community and just share that common empathy. And it doesn't matter where the border is. It doesn't matter what the nationality is. Just kind of share that common humanity. And I think that would be a pretty powerful starting point. And um, and I would also suggest that they might want to reach out to their politicians and ask if they are supporting a ceasefire, maybe back them in. And if they're not, ask why the bloody hell not. And I would just like to take this moment to remind any of our listeners, especially UNE students, if you are struggling uh, with the mental toll of what's going on, please don't hesitate to reach out. We have a counselling service that you can phone 67732897, or you can reach out to your support network or the New South Wales Mental Health Line on 1-800-011-511 if you need to. Please do not be afraid to reach out. There is always help available. Uh, Senator Shoebridge, what do you think is the best way forward? Now, we know obviously the best possible outcome would be a ceasefire and an end to the war. In the immediate coming days, what does need to be done from a humanitarian perspective? We've seen a lot of, you know, we've seen a we've seen an immense shortage of food, water and medicine to residents of Gaza. What needs to happen and how can we make it happen as a, as a country? 
Well, I mean, there's such a pressing need for food and medicine and fuel, um, clean water to be delivered to Gaza. Um, you know, the hospitals are shutting down now. The humidity cribs are losing their power. People are being operated on without anesthetics. The hospitals themselves are being blown up. Um, you know, a million plus people in Gaza don't have a home and a shelter in tents and emergency shelters. Um, and, 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 you know, unless they're approved by the Israeli military, aid convoys will be bombed and, 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 and targeted. It's hard to imagine. Um, and, and literally we can't get aid in. The international community can't get aid in until the bombing stops. And, it, you know, the, 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 the plan from here starts with just one thing. It starts with a ceasefire, not a humanitarian pause, which is what we've heard from the Albanese government and from the Biden administration. Humanitarian pause means you stop for a bit, let a bit of food and water in, and then you start the killing again. Um, that's what a humanitarian pause means, and that's what we've heard our Foreign Minister Penny Wong repeatedly say. And, you know, that's just a degree of savagery in that concept that I can't comprehend. Um, we need a ceasefire. The urgent delivery of mass aid into Gaza, the opening up of the crossings, the Rafah crossings, and and hopefully some crossings from Israel to allow um, a massive surge of aid. Um, and then we need the international community to radically engage on this and, and not to leave it as a conflict between the Israeli state and the Palestinian people, which is such a one-sided um, um, situation where, you know, the disempowered, occupied Palestinian people are not going to be able to fairly bargain with the state of Israel. The international community needs to actively join um, and, and, and place international pressure on Israel and, you know, on the Palestinian people. But, you know, the, the, the state here that's resisting this and causing the violence at the moment is Israel for a just peace, an end to the occupation, a just peace, um, and and a permanent way forward. Uh, but it all starts with that ceasefire. Do you think the United Nations could play a role in helping this come about? Well, I mean, it's the United Nations relief agencies that are on the ground in Gaza now. And, and you know, and, uh, the courage of some of those United Nations workers to continue to deliver aid, to continue to deliver support to the Gazan people and the Palestinian people in the face of this bombardment is like something we should all acknowledge. There's been a record number of UN workers killed by the Israeli bombardment and by the Israeli invasion, you know, and they, yet they continue to turn up for work and they continue to provide that support. UNRWA, the UN um, relief agency that's been working in, the, in, in Gaza and in the refugee camps, the Palestinian refugee camps in the region now for decades and decades, they have a degree of heroism in the work that they're doing that I think we should acknowledge. Australia should fund UNRWA, and they're not. They're record low funding for UNRWA. They should be funding UNRWA, and they should be funding that humanitarian work. Finally, uh, Senator Shoebridge, the last question that I wanted to ask you today, if there are any Australian citizens currently living in Israel or surrounding countries, what should they do? Would the best course of action be to leave? Well, I mean, I, you know, I think they should take the security advice from DFAT, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, um, they've offered advice about the, the risk of escalation of violence in Lebanon. And of course, you know, if Australian citizens can leave and take their loved ones and families with them from Gaza, you know, given the violence that's happening there and the unpredictability of life from one day to another, I, absolutely. But it's, you know, Australians are, are at risk in the, in the West Bank, the occupied West Bank too. 
being sometimes killed by random acts of violence by Israeli settlers. Um, uh, but, you know, I think when you talk to the Palestinian community here too, they say, we, you know, we're not going to have everybody abandon their land and their country. Um, and to, for that to be the solution, for every Palestinian to be removed from Gaza and every Palestinian to be removed from the West Bank, that is not a solution to the um, to the violence and it's not a solution to the conflict. Um, but, of course, you know, um, every family will be making those hard decisions about how to protect themselves and their loved ones and, um, um, you know, and it's, it's just such an impossible situation for many of them. And it goes without saying that all of us here at Tune FM, uh, our hearts absolutely go out to everyone that is impacted in this nature. It is a absolutely, absolutely monstrous situation and our thoughts are very much with you. Senator Shoebridge, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. A pleasure, Ben. Good speaking. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, UNE's student-powered radio.